Okay. All right. So let me know when uh, so, you want to just kick it off and uh, get into how, it. How, how are we kicking this off? Uh, do we have a thing or are we just gonna well i know what the intro should be else. now it's gonna be this whole audio over music and that's gonna be our introduction <laughs> <laughs> just channel the the hatred oh i will good good let the hate flow through you okay. well through caffeine and hate all things are possible so jot that down <laughs> you ready me why not Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. We don't make calls for Nazis. So I can take you to fuck. What did we what did we remember? What was the what did we go with? <laughs> you didn't write it down? No. The <laughs> of <laughs> Green Pastures of the Oil Fields. I'm all hopped up on Mountain Dew. Hi everybody and welcome to episode ten. We made it. We did of blinker fluid double digits. You know, there were uh, a lot of people that believed in us, thought we could make it to this moment and beyond. And uh, to all those people, we just want to say thank you. Ten episodes, ten people. Sounds about right. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't be here, obviously, without our, our wonderful sponsor. Absolutely no one at all. That guy just keeps sticking with us episode after episode after episode. He's, he's been great. He really has. Void, we love you. <laughs> We do. You know, 10 of these in now, we'd like to think our flow's gotten a little better and we've really kind of hit on the formula for the content that we want to bring and how we want to uh, focus our episodes. So, Vince, I only think it's fitting that we start episode 10 talking about helicopters. Oh, of course. Clearly. That's yeah. the only way to do this. It's a natural progression. Absolutely. Car podcast. Helicopters. Helicopters. Yeah. What shares absolutely no parts with an auto with a car? Helicopters perfect transition maybe not with your cars i have giant rotors on the top of my vehicles you do yeah they're for Man. something different though all right well see those of us peasants who don't uh <laughs> that's right it was just an article i saw earlier this week that intrigued me i wanted to bring it up because these kinds of replacements for these kinds of uh aircraft for, for aircraft in general don't come around very often and military aircraft even less so because they the design of it is so high tech and futuristic when they first get designed that usually they just get retrofitted for tens of years and just long, long, long time. Oh yeah. It costs less money to do it that way. Well, yeah. The development cost on these is just absurd. Classified. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's news out and artist conception photo, uh, uh, you know, images and things from, from what we've seen of a replacement for the Black Hawk helicopter, which has been in service for, I don't even know how long. It's a very, very, very long time. Yeah. What's really cool about it is, as was hinted earlier, the placement of the rotors. Rotors being plural on this, not out of the question. There are helicopters that have had more than one rotor before. However, rotors on this helicopter appear to be stacked. So there are two main rotors stacked on top of each other, directly in the center where, the, where one typically would be on like a Blackhawk. And then there's the rear rotor, instead of being side-facing, which has been fairly helicopter standard for a long, long time. It's like the Huey. like a propeller, almost. Yeah, looking at this design, I, and I mean, it's been designated the Defiant X, which I'm really hoping they change. Mostly because when they remake Black Hawk Down, it'd be really weird to call it Defiant X Down, so they should really figure that out. <laughs> Hopefully none of them will ever go down, but... Oh, you know. yeah, exactly. It's a sleek... Looking as you'd expect it to, the nose almost actually reminds me reminds you of a fighter plane. 
kind of yeah yeah and yeah you're right two giant stacked rotors that appear to rotate in opposite directions it looks like the top one is meant to go one way and the bottom one is meant to go the other which is very it's all very very interesting it is interesting i wonder if this helicopter will employ the the jesus nut (laughs) yeah the famous jesus nut yeah oh my gosh i would i would argue yes mainly because it's realistically the only way to hold a single rotor on a pole shaft directly above where there's no nowhere else to attach it to so yeah i'm assuming there's going to be at least one jesus nut on this helicopter for those of you playing at home who are not familiar with the terminology uh, the jesus nut refers to a uh, mash washer that holds the rotors onto the mast of uh, most helicopters and it is referred to as such because if it fails the only thing left to do is pray to jesus yeah jesus is the only thing that's going to help you yeah it's a fun piece of technology yeah it's it's going to be weird to see how this kind of development goes it's part of something called the future vertical lift effort which is just amazing it sounds like a name for a skate shop if you wanted to uh <laughs> future vertical lift yeah yeah <laughs> I don't, I don't entirely, I, this article is very brief, uh, very overarching, obviously doesn't really cover many of the theoretical specifics about what it's this design change is intended to do. I can really, I, I don't re- know enough about rotor airflow dynamics to fully understand the purpose of stacking two opposite spinning rotors on top of each other. Obviously there's something, but the rear one I have something of a theory about i guess whereas in the tail section of this aircraft has two vertical planes on either side of that rear facing rotor and i'm assuming that the change from the from the rotor being side facing to this kind of like propeller rear facing and adding those planes on the side is that we're essentially buffeting the aircraft against those and those side panels are probably going to be able to pitch in either direction to help swing the tail around instead of how it used to be with just kind of like a single plane and then you either slowed or accelerated that rotation to affect it based on the direction the um, rotors were facing. I think they also added those uh, outer fins to increase lateral stability because the rotors that they used up top are V280 Valor tilt rotors. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Yeah. I know exactly (laughs) what that is. Yeah, so the V280 Valor is basically what upgrade they upgraded on the the Ospreys. Um, it was a V22, the 280. You know, uh, it's got a cruise mode. It'll full pull everything forward, so it can do that. I'm assuming it won't go all the way forward on the helicopter for obvious reasons, but uh, it's got a super super wide range of motion, and I assume that means that this helicopter is going to be capable of a lot of different maneuvers and movements. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, so. We'll see. It's going to be, I mean, we won't, we won't see really until they start flying them, but you know, they were lighter than the V-22s. They're going to have, they're going to obviously have to have comparable speeds, but I think they're going to have to be faster later on. I'm assuming with a, cause the, the helicopter is going to weigh more, weigh less than the Osprey. Duh. Cause it would have to, uh, I'll fully loaded. Who knows? But right. That depends on the actual. So, well, I think the, <clears throat> I mean, the Osprey is not a big helicopter. No, it's really not. I don't so. know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, taking the place of the Blackhawk instead of the place of the Osprey, I would assume that this is going to be more of a personnel mobility helicopter versus a stuff mobility helicopter. Well, the V280 just replaced the V22 motors on the Ospreys. No, I know. But that's, this helicopter is going to replace the Blackhawk is what it says. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it, it'll definitely be interesting to kind of keep our eyes on as they um develop and improve it it's it's a weird looking thing i will 
it is just, it is weird looking it's just it's it's just very interesting to see development of this kind of stuff because really future development in things like and and in any military sense be it aircraft or you know ground vehicles whatever always pushes the boundaries for anything that trickles down to a consumer level. Right. And I mean, to be honest, right, it's going to look weird to us now because it's going to. I mean, the, the Blackhawk made its first flight in, I think, October of 74. It was introduced wow. in 79. Yeah. I mean, it's oh been around gosh. for a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, something that looks that looks weird to us now might just be the standard for a military helicopter in the future. Starting off the... 10th car podcast with helicopter news you gotta love it oh yeah you gotta love it you think you know what you're getting and then bam and pow yeah we just change everything there's a couple blackhawks for sale if you're you're interested how much uh, i mean it depends on what sort of uh what sort of spec you get them in i don't need it to be running i just want to sit in it on the ground and make helicopter noises <laughs> <laughs> yeah you look at like six well three mil an 85 uh 60 wait seriously yeah 3.2 three mil Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like that's actually not a bad deal? <laughs> it's not. You can, listen, you can get fi- you can finance it for as low as uh, $19,900.47 a month. So, I mean, it's it's right there. All right. I just got to find uh, 18,000 other people and I can do this. <laughs> this guy gets it, too, because the picture of it is landing in front of a giant explosion. So this man understands <laughs> who's for Black Hawk helicopters. <laughs> Yes, yes, he does. Oh, Actually, man. on the opposite end of the price spectrum, and about as opposite as you can get to the end of the price spectrum, I did see something pretty cool. It's not much more than that, but it is pretty cool. What? Alibaba, that website that sells like literally everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Has a little electric Jeep. It's based on the Willys Jeeps that were, you know, back in the like, day. Like metal? and uh, It is metal. It's like an adult Power Wheels, basically. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> it's electric, right? So it'll only do about 25 miles an hour, but I'm sure somebody will find a way to mod that. That might be a gearbox restriction more than anything. Well, we can fix that too. <clears throat> but anyway, it's got a max load of 507 pounds. So like actual people can be in it and the completely specked out version, you know, yeah. top of the line stuff will run you $1,280. That, that. <laughs> That's awesome. Honestly, it just, just sounds nothing but like nothing but awesomeness to me. Yeah, it's a 60 volt lithium ion battery, claimed range of 50 miles, electric mini Jeep for 1300 bucks. Yeah. I can commute to work on this thing? You can add stuff too. You could get a seat belts and leather seats, a rear bumper with a tow hitch, electric winch. A to- Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. This thing is uh this thing's pretty cool. Look, I just need to be able to get up to 45 and I can take this to work. Oh, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the chassis right now. We can absolutely get this thing to go faster, right? They're using very small batteries. They have tons of room in the frame. Yeah, they're so uh, cool looking too. It's really they cool. are they are very cool looking. It looks like they're using ATV wheels and tires. Yeah, it it's very homage to the Willys, and it kind of sticks with like the idea of what a Willys Jeep was. 
it came in a crate and you put it together. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, oh, exactly. everything came packed in like one crate and you just kind of slapped it together and did whatever you needed to do with it. Yep. You know, what's even crazier. So the $1,280 price was for a minimum order quantity of five of them. If you buy just one, it's a $200 surcharge, which is fine. Uh, you'd imagine though, that shipping would be insane. Yes. But the quote from Alan Zen, who was one of the guys that built it is $195. To ship it <laughs> you're telling me for like fifteen hundred dollars i can have this thing yes i want it hell buy a dozen and open a paintball range like oh my no 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 because the liability factor on that man nah, have them sign a waiver nobody cares that's true come on man mount a browning replica paintball gun to the top let's go oh my gosh stop yes, you're sir. bad ideas in my head <laughs> I love it. I love everything about it. So, you know, if you don't have three mil for a Blackhawk, you could buy a electric Willys Jeep for about two grand. All you have to do is beef up the rear suspension. It's already got mounting uh, an area to mount the two in the back. You just Nobody need foot pegs so somebody can stand on the back of it. And I, oh my gosh, it could work. Yes, you could run them. You could run gunner Jeeps. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going paintballing. Why? It's a for little kids there's a gunner jeep oh my gosh i want it <laughs> everybody rolls up in like in like, like period uniform and we just start fucking wailing on each other if you're gonna if you're gonna run gunner jeeps at your paintball facility that means you have to uh you have to basically be re- recreating the v- vietnam war <laughs> so we're all right so hueys are probably so less expensive than uh we're gonna, have, we're, we're gonna have tree houses and uh <laughs> and we're just gonna have people like up in the trees actually up in the trees they're in the trees oh my god <laughs> someone's gonna get a um industrial paint sprayer and fill it with orange paint it'll be a flame oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so bad you're running around with a brush dipped in red paint fucking jumping up behind people and tagging them oh lord that's uh, gonna take a turn we should move on <laughs> it already has we're already in the war crime section we need to, <laughs> need to we need to bail out so 2020 was a hell of a year wasn't it yeah, it was. Which happy twenty twenty one, everybody. Well, yeah. I don't know if we said that in the last one. <laughs> we didn't, and it's. It, I'm glad because it's a disaster. Anyway, I mean, yeah, twenty twenty started with oh, what was it? Twenty twenty started with something with going on with the government too, and then you know, right, right here we are back, twenty twenty one. Anyway, so a lot of surprising things, a lot of world events and such. But what surprised me, not the most, but was an interesting piece of information, is that Dodge. Uh, sold four Vipers in 2020. When did they stop making that? What was the last year? 2017 was the last time it went out of production. Oh my goodness. And not like certified pre-owned, Vince. They sold four new Vipers in 2020. I just... <laughs> who has them? Who has the new Vipers? I don't know. But I Have love Have they it. been sitting on the lot since 2017? Has Dodge been holding on to stock and distributing them as like per a little bit of demand? Come like if somebody inquires if there are any new ones, does Dodge then they go pull one? Like does Dodge pull one out of stock and send it to that dealership so that next time that person walks in, there's magically one there? Like I, what are they? How is this happening? Well, so the crazy thing is that they sold two in the first three quarters of 2020, and then in the fourth quarter sold two more. <laughs> It's insane. I love it. It's it's amazing. They were trying to find. So I'm reading. I was and I read the article about it. They were trying to find where 
they were because what even, but they I mean, they sold a lot of, and I think part of the surprising stuff is the used car market right now because they sold like two other, they sold like two or three Patriots. They sold nine Chrysler 200s. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And seven new darts. What? Okay. Well, to those seven people, I'm going to evoke some earlier episodes where we just absolutely bash somebody for buying a truck and being disappointed about it. <laughs> to the seven people who bought a new Dart in 2020, have you never heard of Googling or any th- form of research on the vehicle you are about to purchase? Because, well, you're going to regret that decision in about 25, 26, 27,000 miles. Unless you guys really wanted to rebuild the Dodge Neon and you got it for like stupid money, then fine. But the thing is, the Viper still escapes that used car thing, right? So everybody's looking for cheaper used cars. All right, I'll buy continued car, discontinued cars from Chrysler and Jeep. But the Viper... <laughs> Which is honestly, actually, just before we... That's a really clutch idea. I want yes. a new car so I don't have to worry about it for a while, but I don't want to spend a ton of money on it. I want to buy it like used car price. Finding models that are still brand new that have been discontinued for that long. Oh my gosh. The genius idea. There's a non-Taliban related pro tip. I'm sorry. Have most of ours been Taliban related? <laughs> no, just the ones in episode eight were. So I figured oh, we Okay. You <laughs> scared me there for a second. Oh, All right. God. But anyway, yeah, that still doesn't explain how you sold four Vipers in. No, <laughs> because no, it doesn't. Like, you know, I could go for a, I need a cheap, you, you, but I want a new car. I'm going to get a Viper. I'm just curious how they managed to hold on to them for this long. Because, like, it's not, not like it's an unpopular high-end sports slash supercar to buy. Yeah, I think it's worth looking into in that regard because... You're right. I think if I saw a Viper and I was spending that money anyway, I'd probably buy a Viper. You know, even next to like a Hellcat, those are still being made. I'd rather pick the Viper up. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, I don't know. I just thought that was just absolutely hysterical. That's that's real funny, actually. Yeah. Absolutely hysterical. It's crazy. As far as technology goes, you know, the Viper was not a... Uh, futuristic vehicle in any way, shape, or form. No, no, even the new ones were. I mean, like, they weren't non-modern cars they were very modern in suspension aspects and you know what have you it wasn't like they were ancient no no no. they just didn't bring anything new to the table right which usually on the car like that you get something new to the table well and i think when somebody is building to that extreme they do that which I think has been exemplified by a story that you found about bugatti absolutely so bugatti well i mean Let's just be let's just be real here. Since they were purchased by VW and first released the Veyron back in the day, have been pushing the boundaries on a, uh, quite a number of things in everything they've released since then, and including that home of the twenty one thousand dollar oil change. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's that ripoff, and you know that's just that just falls in line with about you know the morals of uh, VW and begin with but in any case we don't make cars for nazis i don't know why everybody keeps saying that i was just gonna go with the whole we lied on our diesels but so bugatti with the recent not not so recent anymore uh there's the chiron was their most their most recent car i believe it's i believe that still is i don't think they've come out with anything since then uh road car wise at least so they have this car called the bolide that is going to be their like le mans style racer Mm -hmm. i want to say they're legitimately trying to take this to Le Mans, I, but I, 
believe it's really it's really only a prototype right now. Right. So they might be developing this for the future, but it might not happen for a number of years. It was very interesting about this in this article that I found. They are including 3D printed parts on this vehicle. Really? Specifically the push rods in their suspension. Huh. They are they have 3D printed this out of I believe it's out of metal. I believe there's metal 3D printing. Uh, I want to yeah. say titanium is the metal they're using for it, which is fairly standard. However, with 3D printing, the structures you're able to create, especially internally to an object, to reduce its weight factor, has them weighing these push rods in at three and a half ounces. Holy shit. Yet claiming that they can withstand three and a half tons of force. Wow. If true, impressive. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things that I read about Bugatti. First of all, 3D printing is not something they've, it's something they've dabbled in before. Although the last time they tried, a, I think it was a brake caliper for the Chiron. Oh, did they? Okay. Yes. And it got super, it was like three years ago. And it, under heavy loads, just sparked and the rotor was like bright yellow almost molten it didn't go great however based on how they've changed the uh process they've refined their 3d printing capability to as fine as 0.1 millimeters oh that's fairly standard yes if they weren't doing that before then... still insane no it's insane yeah but for those for those high-end 3d printers that's not um that's not anything out of the question yeah the three the three hundred dollar one you can buy off Amazon can print to a millimeter. So if you're going to print car parts and you're spending a whole lot more money than that, you better be able to print to a, a hundredth of a millimeter. There's another three D printed piece on here as well. Is there a mounting bracket for the front wing? Okay, allows for three different height settings, and it's a hollow titanium piece with a wall thickness of 0.7 millimeters. It's rated for. 1,763 pounds of downforce. It itself weighs 1.32 pounds. Yeah. That yeah, is th unreal. 3D printed parts and structures are amazing. They really are. You know, this, this additive manufacturing process, converse of most metallic parts previously built for automotive or anything else, where you start off with a chunk of either billet or some other form of a block of metal, and then you carve away at it to create your piece or your multiple pieces that get bolted together or welded together or somehow combined to create your singular piece. And then 3D printing, you're basically starting off with nothing and putting down a base and then building a support structure if required around this part that you're basically growing from a layer to layer to layer to layer. And because you have the because you have complete control over the base structure and all of the support structure and every aspect of this part that's either going to exist when it's done or be removed, you're able to create way more intricate things than you would in a typical removable in a typical removal manufacturing process. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, um, not just for new vehicles, but as older vehicles are being worked on and restored and all sorts of fun nonsense like having that. Having to come up with these parts that don't exist anymore. Exactly. Exactly. It becomes a lot more affordable, believe it or not, to <laughs> do something like 3D printing. It's not affordable, but, you know, to, to start. But if you already have the equipment the design process is purely computer-based and you just, you know, print out some prototypes and 
the keeping it going once it's once your business is started in that is a lot easier so coming up with these parts that don't exist anymore is a lot more viable for for restorative purposes i'm also envisioning a world of car guy frustration where you get so pissed off with the part that you're dealing with that you just decide to make one (laughs) which has been a thing for i mean come on you know no it's like oh it's a bolt-in kit but no it's not so i'm going to make the thing myself that's just the most car guy thing ever is I'm, I made the thing. It really just adds a dimension. Yeah. To the <laughs> I love it. Overall, very cool. Yeah, I love the idea of, of 3D printing stuff like this just because it changes the aspect of design too, right? Like the way that things have been designed. Typically, designers, initially at least design things that are probably vaguely outside of the ability of manufacturing to create. And then it again, it, you know, that's your concept vehicle. And then it gets toned down into what's actually viable. Right. But with 3d printing, your, your bounds of what's viable expand a lot. Absolutely. And I mean, as far as parts go fitting into a motor and the way things come together, you know, you were generally restricted by the shape of some of these things. This can only go mm-hmm. here because it fits there. Now, if you can, if you can map it, and print something with the same functionality that fits a different way. The sky's the limit. And the the cool thing is, I mean, granted, it's much higher spec equipment, but if this stuff is able to withstand the the kind of torture that Bugatti's going to put it through. Yeah, because, I mean, the theoretical weight of this car that they're trying to build to is 2,700 pounds, which, you know, isn't a ton. Well, it's actually a, it's a ton and 700 pounds, but anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, it's not a lot in the car, in the modern car world. No, not compared to the 1,825 horsepower that it's going to have. Exactly. They, they are building this thing, regardless of the power or weight, I guess. You could look at it just, it's built to be a racer. If it can survive a race car, it can most likely survive the road. I realize that's a terrible way to put it because things are a lot, a lot of times more fragile on a race car. Because really, you're not dealing with potholes and that kind of stress and whatnot. But correct, I guess conceptually, if they're torture testing it to survive these kinds of things, you would expect any sort of comparable torture test once it's been designed to handle the loads of a typical day-to-day basis versus a racetrack use basis, that it would also be able to withstand that. It's going to come down to you know research and engineering and maybe a little divine intervention. <laughs> A little. Yeah. Just a little. Just enough. <sighs> Just enough. What do you say there, Vince? Hmm? <laughs> I don't know much about divine intervention. Sorry. Right on top of it. Well, you know what? There's always a place we can go to learn. Ma, do I have to? Yes. Put your nice clothes on. Oh. Because we're going to the synagogue of speed, the temple of turbos. And we will say. God, Car God, James Pumphrey, Jeremy Clarkson, it's us, your humble disciples begging, pleading for you to return these lost models to us. And in exchange, please accept the offerings from the deacon James May and altar boy Richard Hammond, that we give a sacrifice to be struck down for the good of all mankind. This is This For That. Well, now that you've drugged me here, what do you got? (laughs) Oh, all right. I see how it is. Fair enough. (laughs) God, give us back the Dodge Magnum. Wow, no reaction, really? Interesting. Are you waiting for what I'm going to give up?
Mm-hmm. And in exchange, please take, I'm, I'm going to give two models here, the Mercedes GLE and GLC coupe. Please and thank you. I don't even know. I got to look those up. Those are their sport SUVs. All right. Well, as I look those up, give me your argument for the Magnum. Let me hear it. All right. So the Dodge Magnum, first of all, there are not enough wagons in the world. There are not. Let's just start there. No, absolutely. Not enough. So overall, the Magnum was an interesting kind of foray by Dodge. It was. It incorporated kind of their, you know, when they were trying to go practical with stuff that wasn't an SUV. Yeah. But in true Dodge form, it was available with everything from a 2.7 liter V6 to a 6.1 liter V8. Mm -hmm. So it had serious range if you were into that. They weren't terrible overall. I'm speaking of the wagon specifically because they made a sedan as well, like in the 80s in like Mexico, but specifically the wagon. Yes. No, yeah, no, no. The wagon that they came out with here. And I, I like it. I like what it was when it was around. Not sure I want it back. Why? I really think they could do some cool stuff with it now. I don't trust Dodge to build a wagon. I don't trust Dodge to build a wagon because I guess really what it comes down to is the way Dodge is working as a company right now, they would defy what I believe a wagon should be. Ah, see, now that's a different story. What is your wagon philosophy? My wagon philosophy is... The ultimate family vehicle. Wagons, to me, replace minivans. Okay. And Dodge can't do that because they're too hopped up on whatever you want to say they're hopped up on. Mountain Dew. (laughs) Yeah, Mountain Dew. Let's go with Mountain Dew. (laughs) Dodge is over. Ford, I'm going to come at you like a spider monkey. (laughs) Dodge is too much right now to, to build what I believe a proper wagon is. I'm not saying a wagon should be low, you know, not be able to get out of its own way. I don't have a problem with that, but I would most likely not have a problem with whatever Dodge would build as a base vehicle and the options for it that would come out initially. Sure, go for it. And then after one or two years of it being around, they would absolutely ruin it with everything that they're doing to like the Hellcat Extreme and the Red Eye and like all that kind of stuff because they wouldn't be able to hold themselves. They would throw it onto the wagon and ruin it. So, and by ruin it, you mean ruin what the wagon should be? Yes. Right or wrong. Okay. So I have two sides to this. The first one is yes. I think if they built a base model in the GT spec that they build the Chargers and Challengers in that are four-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be that'd be nice. It'd be a very well appointed car, and they do very well with it. But you can't, you're really going to tell me that you wouldn't want to see a wide body Hellcat Magnum? No, I wouldn't. Oh my god, that'd be incredible. Why? I think that'd be great because it's just it's just dope. It's just an awesome. It was mean looking when they did it the first time with the SRT. You gotta love a wagon that'll do the standing quarter in 13 seconds. And I think. Uh, I think you, I mean, I'm not necessarily in the wide body spec, but I thought from somebody who uh, is a very big fan of the sleeper community that a Hellcat wagon would be kind of right up your alley. Well, first of all, you don't buy a sleeper. Right. I understand that. So I really don't care what Dodge does to build something that they would consider as like, no, I don't give a crap. But no, it's too much. Like I said, I don't have a problem. They want to build the GT version, throw the Pentastar in there, make it all wheel drive, go for it. They want to keep it all wheel drive or change it to rear wheel drive. When they go to throw a V8 in it, they want to throw a 5.7 in there, go for it. And I, I'm fine with that. That ba- Those base models and those, the, just the base, v- the original vehicle that they would design in general and the trim levels for it, I'm all for. It's when they go to take it over the edge. I don't think wagons should necessarily have that done to them. I'd absolutely buy a V8 all-wheel drive. 
of these, by the way. Even a real, even a rear wheel drive. You know, you want to keep a drivetrain simple, and you change it to rear wheel drive like they had for the other Magnums. Fine, I'm all for that. It's when they start going too far with it. I see your point. I personally just love that they're going too far with things. That's just, I think, the difference between you see it, and I'm like, all right, now what? You know what I mean? So, I but I get it. I understand what you're saying. Which is cool for if you want to build a limited amount of something. You know, like that's what that's what companies do, right? They for these things that they come out with that, you know, would technically compete with Dodge as far as like pushing the boundaries of power or this or that. You know, a company comes out with either, you know, sometimes it's a concept vehicle, sometimes it's a limited run of something. And then they sell it for a little bit and that's that. But it was really just to kind of show what they could do to intrigue people into buying their cars and dodge just goes nah we're gonna make this available like all the time <laughs> and it's gonna be like what we're about and no i, I don't they're gonna build the magnum acr <laughs> right like just 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 no, chill. Right. I, you, I you have, they, have, they have two vehicles right now that they're doing that with why spread to every like if you start doing that with everything in your range oh my gosh you're taking it too far no, very true. Very true. I agree. As far as my get rids of go, did you look them up? I did. Yeah, I'm staring at them right now. Yeah. So these are two just unnecessary, ugly, expensive. Just why? What's the point of them? Mostly. I know BMW sells a similar one. I'm more inclined to buy it from them if I'm going to buy one that looks like this. The, the GLE looks very similar to the X6. Yeah. I would much prefer to have an X6. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? So if I thought performance SUV, I'm not going to think. Now, mind you, I am also one of the people that wanted to get rid of all of BMW's SUVs. I was there. I said it. I stand by it. But my point is, if I'm comparing one to the other, the, the brand that comes to mind is not Mercedes. No, don't get me wrong. Mercedes makes a phenomenal sports car. Yes, they do. I don't go to Mercedes for a sport SUV. No. Nope. Especially not one that starts at $76,500. Starts at $76,500. Yeah. There's only there's only two types of SUVs I go to Mercedes for. Is one of them the G wagon? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. You have you one do. of them has to be a G wagon. You're absolutely right. You can't consider yourself into automobiles and be like that G wagon's terrible. No, no way! No. It is iconic, amazing. Yeah. I remember watching videos on the internet of like somebody in a G wagon in the middle of a snowstorm going, nah, people are going too slow on the road. So they went into like the, onto the side of the road where it's just rolling hills and they're bombing it at like 70 to 80 miles an hour off road yeah, in a snowstorm. And they're like jumping this thing over it. these berms and overtaking people on the road, on the side of the road. Yes. And you people that would do that are the only ones who are allowed to buy G wagons, by the way. Yeah. No, no, no. All right. The person who just like road cruises this thing to work and never takes it over uh, 3000 RPM. Get, get, no, no. When you see it all the no. time, you see they do that. They do the commercials too with their, the bigger SUVs like sliding through dirt and shit. And you're like, nobody's doing that. Nobody's taking their Mercedes out like this. They're but it's not. hilarious because Mercedes agrees and clearly shows on their website the G Wagon photo is off road. Yes. 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 Yeah. It can be a phenomenal road cruiser, but it's not built for that. Its heart is off road. The incredible thing awesome. too is. One of the pictures for the off-road model is in the AMG trim. So they're even like, hey, even the insane trim, this is an off-road car. Yeah. So I give, I do give Mercedes credit for that. So there's that. There's th that SUV, yes. 
And then I would go to them for a luxury SUV. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sure. It gives you all the, you know, it gives you a bargain if you can't uh, afford the Bentayga. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's just pure luxury right there. Although uh, some pretty uh, decent performance as well. But anyway. So, yeah, they're just sitting there doing nothing. They cost too much money. It's not the first thing you think about. I'm going to have to explain it to somebody. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You no, buy the, but this has the same, like, no, nah, 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 nobody wants to do that. No, no. I mean, that goes against you made the argument that about the luxury vehicles in general is you should never have to explain it. Correct. When we were talking about the, the Genesis models, mm-hmm. that was your whole thing. If you have to explain it, then why? Then you're not going to buy it. So, meh. Right. So, yeah. So if I have to, if I have to justify this to every X6 driver that I know, and I'm sure if I'm in this price bracket that I know a couple of them, <laughs> no, nah, forget it. Mm-hmm. No, thanks. What do you got over there? All right. Well, in the ironically similar realm. <laughs> ironically similar realm. Okay. Yeah. I would love, I would love to bring back the Chrysler New Yorker wagon. Wow. <laughs> and in re- it's in its place, I would like to abolish the Toyota Sequoia. You know, I don't really have an argument with you on that, mostly because why? But hit me with the New Yorker first. Okay. New Yorker. The New Yorker wagon. Before before you get into it heavy, you want you just want the wagon back, not the whole New Yorker line? No, 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 just the wagon. Okay. No, because right for, for me right now, Chrysler, just build a 300 and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> just keep building the Chrysler 300 and you will never hear a complaint from me about a car that I want back from you specifically. <laughs> Just yeah, that's that's fair that, enough. That, that about encompasses that. Anyway, uh, to, to me, the New Yorker is one of the quintessential. This is what a wagon should be. Okay, based on your definition before, yes, I would say that you've picked exactly that. And also, just drop dead amazing visuals. It it really is gorgeous. I would hope that any company who did this again would try and maintain some of that. I mean, obviously you can't, you know, make it exactly the same in terms of because there's different safety requirements and stuff like that. Now. Right. No, it would ne- it would never be exact. Certain elements, though, that are absolutely cool. The early 60s ones with the slanted stacked headlights. Yep. Uh, you know, maybe even just putting that bringing that aspect back. I mean, you probably can't do fins anymore, unfortunately. No, probably not. You can still flare out the, the back, though. Yeah, you could do something to in replicate it in a certain way maybe or even like the, like the 50s ones oh my gosh gorgeous no absolutely gorgeous they're very very nice i was looking at i'm looking at a 52 right now a green one yep just beautiful beautiful yeah. beautiful car they're beautiful cars yeah is chrysler who you want making it yes okay. and my reasoning would be thus Ooh, just looking thus. at <laughs> they're here to fall <laughs> <laughs> You were uh, saying, your highness. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm educated. I can use big words. boy. It's four letters, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm an adult. I can use four-letter words. <laughs> so Chrysler with the 300 have really held to the whole, we know it's a big car. We don't care. This is what it is. Right. They have. And because of that, if they were to recreate a wagon say the New Yorker, as I would 
request, the it would probably be one of two things actually, which might be interesting. Either it would be a four door or it would be a two door with van style sliding doors for the rear. I like that. But Chrysler, in my opinion, would make it a large enough vehicle that if even if it just had four swing doors, the space behind that rear swing door would be long enough to evoke wagons of old and actually have the third row of seating and the trunk. Also, the front end of it would be long enough to put your option of engine in, whether that be Pentastar V6, V8. They have all-wheel drive. They have the same all-wheel drive system as Dodge. They have this, you know, that's all the same. So they can throw the multiple engine packages. They can make it all-wheel drive. They can make it rear-wheel drive. They can do whatever they want with that. But I think the styling department of Chrysler, as well as the fact that Dodge really does not do the insanity line with Chrysler. No, they seem to have left them alone. Yeah, the, the, this, this would be way more their kind of luxury, floaty, boaty, family car thing that's fair i think i think we definitely need more wagons out there i think it's like subaru is one of the only places that still makes wagons uh subaru uh, volvo makes a wagon range Uh, mercedes does still make a wagon i think no absolutely not i'm sorry no 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 they do but no i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to remember if buick still does they had like the they had something yeah i don't think they do but it might have been phased out a couple of years yeah. ago, maybe. I don't remember. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, you really don't have to convince me on the Sequoia, but hit it anyway. Well, okay. So my reasoning for that is, so Toyota's range of SUVs, right? The, the, besides the smaller ones, which I really don't think they're overpopulated on, they really they have the CHR, which is that like the super compact one. They have the Rav Four, the Highlander. They're introducing a new one in between there, but it's hybrid specific, so you know yep. that's fine for their larger ones. They have the Forerunner, they have the Sequoia, and they have the Land Cruiser. Yes, Land Cruiser. Is too expensive, but is a staple of their lineup and needs to stay. I have a bone to pick with the Land Cruiser just on price alone. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's too expensive because it's too much like the Lexus, but it needs to stay in Toyota's lineup because it's the Land Cruiser and it should always be there. Forerunner, same thing. But that is actually priced well. I like that price range. It increases too quickly, but its starting price is fine. The Sequoia is too weirdly proportioned in the middle. If anything, I would switch the Sequoia with the Land Cruiser but nah, we really shouldn't have anything that expensive in Toyota's lineup to begin with. I agree. And it's so it starts at 50 and is yeah. insanely bubbly and just kind of very blah and ugly. It's not a very good looking vehicle. It's not a very good looking vehicle. It's way it's way too truck heavy in the front, but then it gets way too big towards the middle. It's just bad. It starts at 50 and goes up. Very incrementally through all of the six, I think, ranges of it. And then the platinum version of this thing, $66,000. And it's not even like it's that much more well-appointed than the original $50,000 one. Like, Toyota doesn't make a base vehicle that doesn't come with a lot of nice features. I will also point out there is no purpose for a TRD Pro version of this vehicle. Yeah, no, I was just ignoring that. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I was too. very much so ignoring that because oh, why the hell? and for the and for the one person who's going well overlanding man uh that is exactly what that's exactly what the land cruiser is for dude you'd be better off buying an old sequoia and retrofitting it than you yeah. would be buying a trd pro brand new one 
Absolutely. Uh, just the Sequoia is just in a weird spot, and I don't like it, and I don't think it should be there. I agree. Is that if if it if it has to stay, switch it with the Land Cruiser and make it start at eighty five and only give it one trim. Can I? And I mean, I don't think you're going to like this at all. But for the sake of this discussion, I want to throw it out there. The Land Cruiser is stupid expensive, and I think it should only be as expensive as like the higher of the forerunners, maybe a little more than that, maybe an extra 50, 10, 10 grand or so. What does the forerunner get to again? The forerunner gets up to uh Okay, so the TRD Pro Land Cruiser is 50. I think and just bear with me, okay? Toyota should find a way to make that cheaper. Um oh, the Land Cruiser the Land Cruiser, yes, the Land Cruiser should be a cheaper vehicle. I don't know if they're going to keep it at what it's at and sell it the way it is while they try to do that if they don't they should make an addition for the forerunner like a land cruiser edition hmm. that can come with some really like up over the top overland stuff that'll cost you like closer to 60 because be honest the trd pro is already pretty good it is but size wise it's not really an overlanding vehicle no it's not no the 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 Land Cruiser is better, but what I'm saying is, you know, put some some insane stuff on it for like specific off-road nonsense. Put a put a factory snorkel on it. Put some, you know, put a factory another bigger tires or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, no, just, yeah, I'm 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 with you on this. My argument for the Land Cruiser is really that it should it should it comes in two models right now. It comes in Land Cruiser and Heritage Edition. It should only come in Land Cruiser and TRD Pro. And it should have, the TRD Pro should be the completely nothing but overlanding and the Land Cruiser version should be able to get to get you places off road, but also, you know, maybe it's not as, you know, suspension raised. It, it does get you around on the road for the for those who want that slightly bigger than a uh, forerunner SUV. Fine. That's how I see the Land Cruiser. And, and and with that, yes, I agree. The price should be lower. I would say that a traditional land, you know, maybe start the regular land cruiser at 52 make it a little bit more than the highest forerunner or whatever or start it at 50 and then make the trd pro land cruiser like 58 okay yeah i'm with that and then that opens up room if they want to keep the sequoia and they want to go over the top and have their like big dog vehicle okay fine and if you want to make that one 85 for the idiot who's going to buy it instead of just going to lexus sure <laughs> but realistically that vehicle should only come in lexus trim i agree absolutely all right cool so that is return the dodge magnum for the mercedes gle and glc coupes which are four doors by the way love that and return the chrysler new yorker wagon for mm -hmm. the toyota sequoia which you can just get rid of the sequoia anyway honestly but anyhow yeah so basically bring back some more wagons people some more wagons in general would be cool like wagons when oh my god <laughs> what else what else what else keep up with us on uh facebook and spotify and wherever else we are pretty sure that's the two main ones um i'm also posting random references to our podcast in comments on tiktok so every time i see a video that has blinker fluid in it i just leave a comment that we're there so are you really i am actually yeah <laughs> That's awesome. I do. That's and they're awesome. like, oh, changing my blinker fluid. I'm like, oh, you can find that on Spotify. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? I mean, why not? Uh, Mod your cars. We didn't get to say that today, but do it. It's fun. I will be 
employing that strategy myself with my own vehicle now. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. a lot of work to do. You got some work to do. Yes, sir. But other than that, stay well, stay safe, check your blinker fluid. And uh, we'll be back for episode 11, if you can believe that. Running out of ideas. We're going to we're gonna have to have a brainstorming session soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to. You think the next one should be about cars, too? Let's see how people react to this helicopter bit in this one first. <laughs> then we'll make that decision. You never know, man. Aerospace could just blow up for us, and then we just got to change our whole outlook. The Jesus Nut Podcast. That's <laughs> yeah, probably going to be available on Spotify. No, probably not. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, we could. Uh, it could. We could be talking about uh, planes and helicopters the next time around, depending on how well this is received. So you never know. Never know. Till then, check your blinker fluid. Goodbye, everybody.